The following is a Westminster Seminary, California morning devotion by the Reverend Chuck Tedrick, Dean of Students at Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this chapel message or about Westminster Seminary, California, visit wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474, wscal.edu or call 888-480-8474. Well, good morning, friends. I hope that this finds, uh, I hope that, uh, that you are well. I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And it is uh, my pleasure to be able to open up God's Word again for us, a uh, devotional. We've been able to reflect the past year on various prayers in Scripture. And I started with one uh, that began with Jesus' prayer for Peter, praying that Peter's faith would not fail and noting how Jesus was also praying for us. And I'd like to look at a prayer that Jesus does pray, the longest recorded prayer in Scripture by our Lord and Savior in John chapter 17 as we conclude this series on prayer. Let's uh, open with a word of prayer together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege it is for us to be able to call upon you in prayer. We thank you that you hear us and that you answer us for Christ's sake. We thank you that you are more willing and eager to answer our prayers than we even are to pray them. We pray that you would be with us now. I pray that you'd be with the students in particular as they finish the semester. I pray that you would give them strength. I pray that you would give them discipline. I pray that you would give them rest. I pray that even in the midst of some of the challenges of finishing, that there would also be a joy in learning more about you and your word and your son and your salvation and the world that you have created and the glory that awaits us. I pray that you would be with them over the break as well, Father, that they would be able to get some rest. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, this term we have reflected on several different prayers from Scripture, and I want to conclude with a prayer by Jesus that is sometimes called the high priestly prayer and sometimes even referred to as a farewell prayer. It comes to us in the context of after he had given the upper room discourse, really one long sermon all the way from John 13 to where we are now, where he told his disciples about the cross and the resurrection and that he was going to be going, but that he would send the Spirit He told them that there were going to be challenges and trials and tribulations in the interim and that he would return. He kind of uh, washed their feet, uh, preached a sermon to them, shared a meal with them, and now he prays for them in his great care and his love for his people and his disciples. And so I'd like to look at three things from this prayer. First, Jesus and his eternal Father. Second, Jesus and his current disciples. And then Jesus and his future bride. So Jesus and his eternal father, Jesus and his current disciples, and Jesus and his future bride. And so let's hear the word of God as it comes to us in the Gospel of John. I'd like to read all of John 17, but back up a few verses to give us a little bit of the context as Jesus ends his sermon. And Jesus said to him, Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each of you to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, 
to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and all yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you would take them out of the world, but that you would keep them from the evil one. They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And you sent me into the world, so as you have sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, and they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known, that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. Thus far the reading of God's holy word. Well, what an amazing passage and so rich. We couldn't possibly exhaust the depths of it in a lifetime, let alone in the 20 minutes that we have this morning. But let's just consider a few things from this a prayer that Jesus has, a farewell prayer, if you will. And Jesus first, I want to talk about Jesus and his eternal father. It starts off, our passage starts off by saying, when he had spoken these words. 
And it's referring back to the words that he had just spoken in the whole sermon, the whole farewell discourse, where he was telling them what is going to happen and why it's going to happen and what it means and what will happen to them and what he's on the way to the cross to do and that he's going away and that he's going to send the Holy Spirit, a comforter who's going to be with them and going to lead them into all truth and that they are going to bear witness to him and that he will go and prepare a place for them and come back. All of that, when he's finished saying all of these things, he's, he prayed this prayer. And he says, Father the, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. Note here, he says, the hour has come. Throughout the gospel and throughout the gospels, Jesus has perpetually said, it's not my time, or the hour has not come, or not yet. But now he's saying the hour has come. This is pregnant with meaning. It's for this reason that Jesus has come. His time has now come to go to the cross. His time has now come to be resurrected and also to return to the Father from where he came. The hour is here. And he is recognizing this and he is praying to his father, the one whom has loved him and whom he has loved from all of eternity. And he's praying for his disciples that were with him and he's praying for his disciples that were believed through their word, his bride, his church, us. He's praying for glory. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. It's interesting that the various members, uh, persons of the Trinity glorify and give glory to one another. And Jesus is praying that he would be glorified and that the Father would be glorified through him and that the Father would glorify him. And he's recognizing that the pathway to glory is going to come through the cross. The hour has come. He is on his way to Gethsemane. He's on his way to Golgotha. He is on his way to the cross. But this has been the loving and saving mission that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit had agreed on from all of eternity. This was the plan. The hour has come. The day is here. And note he recognizes that he has been given authority over all flesh. His rule and his reign and his realm is over all. And he has given authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given him. We could spend a whole bunch of time thinking about the sovereignty of God and the power of God and the election of God. But note that this is quite different from making Jesus our Lord and Savior. It is recognizing that he is both. He is the Lord over all and he is the Savior of his people. He has come to give eternal life to those whom the Father has given him, to whom they had made a pact about from all of eternity. The Father has given him authority over all flesh so that he may give salvation, not just the opportunity for salvation, but salvation to a particular people given to him by the Father. It's not providing merely a possibility of salvation, but Jesus saves to the uttermost. And that salvation is found really in the summary of eternal life. And this is eternal life that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's interesting in the Gospel of John, this is the only time the phrase true God is used and the only time that Jesus refers to himself by his title Christ as well. Recognizing that Jesus has revealed to us the only true God, Yahweh, the Father, the I am of the Exodus, the I am of the Shema, that we only have access to him through the Son. 
And this is eternal life, that you know him, the only true God, and Jesus, the Christ, the Messiah, whom he has sent. And he sent him because he so loves us, that he sends his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes will have eternal life. And Jesus goes on to say, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. He's come on a rescue mission, and he's done it perfectly. He's including what he's about to do as well. And he says, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. This would be rich to unpack, and I'd like to rely on Dr. Hywell Jones to do the heavy lifting for me as he wrote about this passage these particular verses, and I'm going to read a little bit of a longer quote here, but I think it summarizes it and encapsulates this so well. I could possibly improve on what my brother wrote. He said, by way of a working definition, it can be said that glory refers to something or someone revealed in some way or other. It has associations in the Old Testament with weight and in the New Testament with light. So it is connected with honor and splendor. Whenever the word occurs in the Bible, the question to be considered, the the questions to be considered in order to appreciate it are who or what is being revealed, how or by what means is that done, and sometimes why. It is used of the created and governed universe of the prestige of nations, of the transient dignity of man, and of the permanent majesty of the Lord. But there is another revelation of God that no one can see that exceeds them all in its fullness and finality, and it is the Word made flesh, the full actualization of the Shekinah of the tabernacle, the incarnation of grace and truth. This means that Jesus is the full and final disclosure of all that God is, And he will be so even in the new heavens and the new earth, which will be lit up by the glory of God shining in the Lamb who is the lamp. So what does this amount to with reference to his request here? Jesus, the man, prays that through all the shame and horror of Gethsemane to Golgotha, the Father will reveal him magnificently in his true messianic divinity. As his ever-true incarnate son, who could not and would not think, speak, or act independently of him, Jesus declares that he is determined to reveal the Father as the only true God by accomplishing what he has been sent to do on earth. And in his mind and spirit, it is as good as done. On that basis, all that Jesus asks for in relation to himself is that the Father will be true to him attesting to him that he is the Christ and that he is the Christ for all of his elect and exalting him, now incarnate, to his immediate presence by way of resurrection and ascension. He's asking for that glory to be made manifest. And so Jesus prays, uh, Jesus prays uh, to his eternal father and prays about his eternal father. But the second thing we want to look at is Jesus prays for his present disciples, those who are with him. He says that I have manifested or revealed the name of the father to him. That really sums up Jesus' ministry and his works and his words, that Jesus makes the father known. 
A name in scripture is often not just a means of identification, but of disclosure, of character, of identity, and and purpose. The name involves the nature. The one true God has been manifested, and he is the one who has sent me, and Jesus has made that known to them. Note he says, I have given them the words that you gave me. They have heard, they have received, and believed the gospel. God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should have eternal life and not perish. Jesus is noting that they have kept that word. They have believed that gospel. They are his disciples. They are following him. And throughout the gospel of John, we recognize that this is a divine gift. Unless one is born from above, one cannot see the kingdom of God. And these 11 who are with them have been given that gift. They see, they know he has made manifest to them who the Father is and who he is. And they believe, they have kept his word, they know him. Knowing, believing, and following belong to, uh, knowing, believing, and following belong to Jesus is going to cause conflicts in the present evil age. So Jesus next prays for their protection. Knowing him, believing him, and following him are going to cost them. So Jesus prays for them, knowing that trials and tribulations are going to come. And as the world hated him, it's going to hate them. So Jesus is praying for his disciples. And it's interesting that they hear this and it's recorded for us. It's meant to be comforting to us and assuring to us and freeing to us. He notes that they have been given to him by the Father, these 11, that they are the Father's and that they are Jesus's, and that Jesus has kept them secure while he is on earth. He has been with them and he has kept them. And now he's saying, Holy Father, you protect them, you keep them. I'm giving them to you. They are yours, they are mine. Keep them, protect them. In other words, preserve them in the faith. This is like the very first prayer that we looked at um, in this series when Jesus prayed for Peter that his faith might not fail. Satan had desired to sift him like wheat, but Jesus prayed for him. And here Jesus is praying for his disciples present with him as he will pray for us that they will be kept, that they will be preserved in that faith, that nothing will be able to separate them from the love of the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is praying that they would be one as he and the Father are one. That's just profound and radical to even think about. One in fellowship, one in love, one in mission, one in purpose, one in peace, one in harmony. And this is not a goal to be achieved, it is a gift to be given. They are united to Christ and they are united to the Father. They are one with him, they are one with one another. We share the same Lord, the same Father, the same faith, the same baptism. We share the same mission, we share the same love. We share the same Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't want his disciples to be freaked out about the trials and tribulations that are coming. He wants them to be filled with joy. Take heart, he said before he prayed this prayer. I have overcome the world. In this world, you will have trials, you will have tribulations, but take heart. I have overcome the world. It's meant to be comforting. It's meant to be freeing. He goes on to ask the Father to sanctify them in the truth, noting that your word is truth. In other words, set them apart. They are not of this world. They are yours. Their citizenship is elsewhere. They belong to the Father. They belong to the Son. They've been set apart. They've been sanctified to not only be his, but with a mission in the world, 
to be in the world but not of it, to be the caretakers of this message, to tell about Jesus, to tell about the Father, to tell about the Son, to tell about the Holy Spirit, to tell about our lostness and tell about his provision in his Son, his goodness and his grace. And note Jesus says, for their sake I consecrate myself. We're not called upon to sanctify ourselves. Jesus is praying that the Father would sanctify us through his word and through his Son and through his Holy Spirit. And Jesus goes on to say, for their sake, I consecrate myself. I sanctify myself. With the result that we are sanctified in and through him. Jesus is the foundation and the fountain and the source, the beginning and the end and the middle of all of our life in him. Our justification, our sanctification, our glorification, all from the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit. There's a reason that Jesus prays this prayer in the hearing of the disciples. It's so that they may be comforted, so that they may have joy, so that they may have confidence, so that they may know, though trials and tribulations are sure to come because they hated Jesus and they will hate those who follow Jesus and love Jesus and speak the words of Jesus, that he is with them. And that he is present. And finally, we want to recognize that Jesus not only prays for his present disciples, but his future bride. He prays for us. Here, beloved, let me remind you, just take a moment that Jesus prayed for you. He prays for us. He prays for his bride. He says, I do not ask for these only, these who are with me here, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's all of us, his church, his people, his sheep, his elect, his chosen ones, the ones beloved by the Father in the Son through the Holy Spirit from before time. He's praying for us and our oneness our union with Jesus, our union with the Father, and our union with one another. We are one in glory, one in love, one in mission, one in purpose. He's praying that we would know, that we would experience, that we would participate in and fellowship in the love that the Father has for the Son. That's remarkable to think about. My father, I was very blessed to have an earthly father who loved me to pieces. My sister and I were indeed the apple of his eye. And he loved our friends, but he did, the love that he had for my sister and I doesn't even compare uh, uh, to the, I mean, the love that he had for us is incomparable to the love that he had for our friends. He indeed loved them, but not nearly like he loves us. And what's remarkable here is that Jesus is saying that he wants, that the father loves us the same way that he loves his own son. The eternal love that the Father has for the Son is what Jesus wants us to know and to have and to experience as well. Loved beyond our wildest imagination. Beloved, what does Jesus desire? It's interesting that here, on his way to his, the cross, really a dying wish, which he also knows will not end in death but end in resurrection, look at what he says. He says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Wow. That's breathtaking. What does Jesus desire? 
that you and I would be with him forever and that we would see his glory, that we would participate in his glory and that we would participate in the fellowship that he has had with his father from all of eternity. Reverend William Godfrey, when he was preaching on this passage, he said this. He said, what can you say about this to do justice to it? If you ask Jesus, what do you want? Jesus would say that you would be with me where I am forever. Reverend Godfrey says, unless Jesus said it, it would be hard to believe, wouldn't it? It would sound like projection or wish projection. I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish God would love me and want to be with me. But that is the testimony of Holy Scripture, beloved. Jesus is saying on his way to the cross, on his way to return to his Father, having accomplished everything that the Lord had set out for him, my desire is that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Friends, when the world, the flesh, or the devil try to undermine you or others about your present and future status in Christ, about your relationship with him, about your beloved status, about your fellowship, remember this prayer. Remember who prayed it. Remember when he prayed it. Remember where he prayed it. Remember to whom he prayed it. And remember for whom he prayed it and for what purpose he prayed it. Is it even possible that any part of this prayer will fail? This prayer cannot be undone. And beloved, what should be so remarkably humbling and joyous for us is that Jesus is the right hand of the Father praying that similar prayer right now. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us that we may know him, that we may love him, that we will be kept, that we will be preserved that we will be with him where he is and we will see him as he is now in his glorified and risen state and more than that, at that moment, we will be like him. How remarkable. In the midst of these challenging and difficult times, hopefully it's helpful to lift our eyes and our ears and our hearts to remember about the Father who loves us, the Son who loves us and came for us, and the Holy Spirit who loves us and seals us to the Father and the Son now and forever. Beloved, greater indeed is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And I'd like to close by reading Paul's prayer for the church in Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, 
which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all and all. Beloved, go in the peace and the love and the joy that is yours in Christ from the Father, through the Holy Spirit, now and forever. Amen. Copyright 2020, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.